Alright, guys, we are live. This is Hampton from Hybrid Calisthenics. We, uh, this is the third episode in the Hybrid Calisthenics podcast. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Arlen Hicks. We're going to talk about discussing growing and eating healthy food. Now, depending on how much of my content you've consumed, I say a lot that you can't have fitness without a good diet. And a good diet is a long conversation, and we're just going to touch upon part of it today, but... A good thing to start is growing and making your own food because when you go out and you eat there's a lot of stuff you're not in control of so if you just want a basic starter pack i always say start making food at home absolutely so growing your own quality food is definitely the best start that's what we're doing live (laughs) no no, it's it's okay for someone who's just getting started because what really surprised me about this and what I, why I want to talk with you about this is I've always had, I've grown stuff before, but it was mostly luck now that I've heard you talk about it. So, um, because like I just put it in the, in the dirt, I didn't know what kind of dirt it was. I didn't like, right, you're just like, it was like, like found one, like without a lot of rocks. And no, then, no, that's fine. <laughs> right. And, and I put seeds in there and it actually grew. I was like, well, I'm good. Um, but like, I've heard you talk to my girlfriend, Doros, and I've heard you talk, there's, and you're like, well, the level of nitrogen affects the greenness of right, the vegetables right. and stuff. So for someone who's just starting out, um, and th- let's say that they live in an area similar to this, so they're not in a concrete jungle or anything. Relatively and natural then, soil. What, would, what should they start doing? So definitely caring for the soil, first off, like focusing on the soil health, making sure that the tilt is right. If you go out there and you hit the soil and it's as hard as a brick, then... That's not very useful. You've got clay that's too dry. You probably have imbalance in your minerals and your nutrients in general. And you have basically an environment that's not conducive to life. The soil microbes are off. The fungus is off. There's probably not that much there. If that describes their backyard, what do they do? Can they change that or should they just find somewhere else? Yeah, so that's a little bit more complicated. So you may want to do a soil test at that point just so you can actually dial it in. But the number one thing you may be having to add on soils, especially in this area, is calcium. So calcium? An application of gypsum, which is a calcium sulfate. Okay. That'll help loosen up the soil, especially on clay. Yeah. Which is a hard pan clay because most of those have excess magnesium, which tends to make the soil bind. Okay. So what should I do that or... I mean, I, I'll be espousing some of my ignorance here, but... Can they just buy soil and put it in a pot? You could, yeah. The quality of that is not great generally on a super small scale. It's a place to start and just learn. Why is the quality of that not great? It's mass produced. You know, the, the quality could be good, but it's again mass produced. Oh, the, so not... the soil quality isn't right, right. great. Okay, yeah. okay, that, that's interesting. Um, as far as the modern food culture um again this is something I, I i touch upon but i don't know a whole lot about is i hear because whether because of the soil or because of just how like our farming practices are that our food is not as nutritious now as it was like 50 60 years ago so definitely i mean every study shows that and basically what happened was through chemical agriculture we kept dumping salts into the soil which destroys pretty much everything, all the bacteria, the fungus, the protozoa, the nematodes, etc., that make the whole food system work because there's an ecosystem within the soil. 
So by doing that, you essentially destroyed the system that cycled nutrients. So not only did you, you added artificial nutrients that are dead minerals, but you suppressed the biology that was there that was making nutrients available from the soil that was there from decomposing matter. Is that reversible? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of studies that have been done even on some of the worst soils that within a year, a few years of regenerative practices, they've re-enlivened the soil. The soil life has come back. Okay. And then once the soil life is back, simply adding anything on top, decomposing matter, they're going to break that down and they're going <coughs> to reincorporate all of that into the soil. How long does that take? It could take a matter of months, depending on the conditions. Oh, really? If okay. You, if you put a lot of effort into it and you did your work, you did your studying, you know, and maybe if you did a soil test and you got the right minerals in place, it would definitely be faster than just hoping for the best and going more naturally. Right. Now, how much uh, degradation are we talking about? Let's say an apple or a piece of chicken. Um, Significant. So... Uh, a lot of people take it for granted because for a long time, soils just grew great food because they were extremely rich. You're talking about old growth forest soils that are very stable. They have millions of years worth of accumulated nutrition in some cases, or at least thousands of years. And when you're working with that, it's really easy to grow great plants and they're very nutrient dense. But just a, a reference point on that is that some of these old growth forest soils had 4,000 parts per million of phosphorus and they're now below a hundred. So they're having to add back tremendous amounts and that's actually a finite resource. So it's not sustainable. It's finite in the sense. It's mined, all phosphorus okay. is mined. Okay. So there's only a limited amount on earth that you can you can mine. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And if we run out. We will run out. It's the estimate is about 2050 that the mined phosphorus will no longer be available and we can't continue this system. That's not very far away at all. No, like, we're no, exactly. no, not even working on it yet. <laughs> so what should we, what will happen if that, if that happens? I mean, there would be massive food shortages because the phosphorus is absolutely necessary for almost all crops that we grow today. Okay, so it's kind of, okay. So it's kind of like fuel for the... Yeah, it's, the a, it's a rooting initiator. Without it, you won't grow proper roots. Without proper roots, you won't have anything. So basically, like modern agriculture is is like we're facing something. It has a timeline, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And they could extend that by more efficient practices, by not flooding all the uh, phosphorus out of the soil so fast because it tends yeah. to go right through the water table. It's mm -hmm. a anion. There's basically cations and anions. Those are the two types of of um, of molecules that are present in soil. The the minerals that you're concerned about and anions don't bind to anything very well. They they move with water. So they're more water soluble. Mm -hmm. That's where the regenerative practices come in because it's right, right. Microbes. I, I, I've heard um, the term recently, uh, regeneratorian, uh, and he was talking about regenerative agriculture. Yeah, is yeah. that basically what it is? Essentially, yeah, it's a uh, it's not doing things organically. It's actually promoting improved growth. So, like with a typical organic practice, you're always dumping more compost on. You're always adding lots of things in, very similar yeah. to conventional. And that is that's not finite. Yeah, yeah, it, you could do that, but again, that's a very resource-intensive system. You're dumping massive amounts of compost every year, or even more often. Okay, and in the sense that there's less nutrients, um, just for the layman, um, how does that affect his health when he eats it? Like, does he get more calories, fewer calories, or just... Um... So that, that's an interesting subject, and I think that it's... <coughs> it's important to talk about something that people talk about a lot, is sugar being devoid of nutrition, right? 
Right. So it's a high calorie food with no nutrients. So you're not really being sustained by it. It would barely keep you alive for a short amount of time. Our right. food is becoming more empty. It's becoming, it has the same amount of calories, but it has less and less nutrition, less and less minerals. Okay. Uh, but would, would you, so in the sense that we have, it gives us some energy to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's not enough and it, it perpetuates chronic diseases. Okay, can you elaborate on the chronic diseases? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So say you're consuming foods that have half the magnesium they formerly did. You would need to eat twice as much to get the same amount of magnesium as you did previously, but then you're eating twice as many calories. So you're actually eating an excess of calories with not enough nutrition. Right, right. So just to get the nutrition you need, you're... You have to eat more, yeah. Okay, and, and I mean, I guess the downside of that is you would have to do more to burn yeah, off those calories, absolutely. but right, but because of technology and the wonders of cars and, and, and trains and everything, we're doing less now. Yeah, absolutely. And then you actually brought up um, a good point when we were texting before, and you were, you were trying to link it back into calisthenics and body exercise, and I really, really stretch the definition of calisthenics yeah. like I'm talking like, I'm talking like breathing <laughs> yeah. or like massaging your scalp you know like people usually think push-ups or sit-ups right. but I just think You're stuff you can do it. yourself yeah. now uh, in one of my my first posts and it was like it got it got some attention but it also was fairly controversial for some people it was the uh, it's called fitness versus Christianity and it, I, I talked about uh, it was basically just encouraging Christians to to exercise, right, right. but someone brought up a good point. He he said, "Well, Jesus, he didn't work out; he worked." And one of the reasons why I think why people they feel the need to go to gyms and feel the need to do like a bunch of push-ups and sit-ups, things that aren't maybe not necessarily natural to other animals. You don't see like yeah, bulls. Right. Um, it's because they live in a manner that sustains their body Absolutely, and, yeah. and their lifestyle. So. Because we're working less now, we have to make up for it right. in our fitness regimen. Right, yeah. And, people feel that need. They feel that lack in their lives, so that's why they go to a gym. Well, and, and you talk about... You're right, right. Because, I mean, especially if if they were healthy and then, like, they became sedentary. Some people yeah. are, unfortunately, yeah, bored into that. And they... They don't know anything. They, they, they don't know... Yeah. Um, because when I... When I sit real still, I get antsy. Like, I have to... Right. Like, yeah, I, mean, like, I, <laughs> I have to move around. And you were, you were talking about how farming, and this makes a lot of sense to me because I think humans were meant to farm. We weren't, we weren't necessarily meant to do push-ups. This is made with a with fitness page. If you think about it, our hand is perfectly shaped to grab a fruit from a tree. Right. I mean, you could say, I mean, depending on how you want to look at it, some could say God designed it that way. Some could say evolution designed us that way. By the way, we have a couple of viewers, so thanks for watching. <laughs> and if you have any questions, please leave a comment. We're, we're very happy to answer your questions. Um, but just the farming practices of shoveling and, and hoeing and yeah, and I mean, growing. definitely anything. So carrying things is, is an excellent exercise. You know, CrossFit actually has farmer carries. They, they right, right, right. carry heavy objects from one point to another. Right. But it's extremely effective and it's functional movement. You're not doing anything unnatural. Okay. You're doing a, a regular movement that you would do in your day to day life. It's nothing exaggerated. So you could say like some of the Amish and the Mennonites, why a lot of them are Yeah. Um, and you could argue that's perhaps closer to how humans are supposed to look and how we're supposed to be. Because just like media distorts the ideal male form, the ideal female form. Right. Okay. And it's just so far away from 
what we naturally are. Whereas you could look look at like uh, the Amish and the farmers, and they're good, healthy people. They're not. They don't look like bodybuilders. Right. They're not bulked okay. up. But maybe we're not supposed to look like <laughs> bodybuilders. Yeah, you have not everyone. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I'm I'm gonna look at some of this while I ask you a question because our, <laughs> so it, I want to touch on this real quick. Um, most people that are aware of podcasts know of the Joe Rogan podcast. I I think he might be the biggest podcaster in North America, and I was watching a, a podcast with someone called Wim Hof. If you don't know him, check him out. But in his second podcast with Joe, um, at the very beginning, Joe was like. Do you have notes there? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, the notes. I'm with Joe Rogan, so I got, I bring notes. <laughs> and he's like, oh okay. He's like, you're the only Joe Rogan guest in the history of this podcast to ever bring notes. And that was 800 episodes in. And now, and he brought like, it was like two pages of like very hastily scribbled notes. Whereas I'm three guests in, <laughs> and Arlen has like this elaborately typed essay. And he sent me a picture of it. He's like, you think this is enough to talk about? I was like, yeah, I, like, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. So I really appreciate that. I, I'm very, very honored about that. Um, well, something that's, and I mean, some people might call this conspiracy or whatever, but why do you think we are the way we are? The modern agriculture, modern food industry, is, there, is it just because we're pursuing profits over what's good or... Is there something so else? That's, that's a complicated question for sure. And it really started, most people don't know this, they assume, you know, the 30s, the 40s is when the chemical revolution really took, took hold. But this right. with agriculture actually started in the 1800s. Uh, Justice von Liebig, he created the theory of NPK, you know, focusing on nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And he was also a prolific writer. So he, you know, published it everywhere and got people paying attention. And since he was he was also a scientist, people really paid attention and popularized the idea very quickly. And it spread pretty much like wildfire. And everybody thought it was the next best thing because, again, they were working with old-growth forest soils that right, were right. extremely nutritious. And you could do pretty much anything and have good results. So, you know, he's doing this, great results, saying it's all due to NPK additions, right? He mm -hmm. created this thing called the Law of the Minimum, saying that all plants are held back by whatever the limiting factor is, whatever nutrient is lowest. So they came up with this whole idea to refine chemical salts and put it on the soil and just kind of shotgun approach, put everything down and, you know, hope for the best. And that's been refined over time. And now you apply specific amounts as per the crop's needs. But ultimately it was started kind of as a hoax, in my opinion. Oh, really? It was incredibly fertile. So anything okay. you would have done, if you had even remotely decent practices, would have worked very well. So it started there, and then at some point in the early 1900s, it was really just, it took, a, it took off, it ran away. And this is definitely because of the chemical corporations, and a lot of the reason that it ramped up so much in the 40s was because they were selling off excess chemicals that were manufactured for war. Okay. Literally, they took the same chemicals that they mass manufactured for war and that they had excess of, they slightly changed them, and then they sold them back to farmers so that they could make more money off of it. Kind of pitched it as the next best thing. Okay. And far oh, you would think the farmers then would be educated on it. Yeah, they well, just accept it because they had to? or well, There was a lot of hype with the chemical revolution. It was kind of <coughs> one of the biggest hyped moments in American history. Everybody was 
trying to do you know better living through chemistry was one of their mottos they, they actually did that as a sales pitch and it was to try to convert everyone to this this new way of living that was more convenient and they were really trying to get people hooked on all these things because again they're manufacturers they're trying to make money off the products that they're making so of course you would want to get that to as wide of an audience as possible and farmers are an excellent source of consumption well, okay. with, you know constant inputs right so that's a tremendous industry right it's, it's a, a large amount of money coming in every year and you could argue that um, people perhaps trust the media a little bit more back then because we, have, we didn't have ways of fact-checking like we do now like we Definitely. have access to Virtually all the world's information, theoretically. Right. At, at yeah, we can fact check everything. Right. But not, and then it was just like, well, the news that it You had one source so. of information, maybe two. Okay. Yeah. And so. it, it was, again, it was pitched very, very hard. It was, uh, they had all sorts of slogans going on. They had, you know, they already, right. they, they kind of invented the ad industry. They were really heavily advertised. And that's, that's one of the first times, to my knowledge, that in America, there was such a large ad campaign that it was undertaken. Right, right. Um, now, but now there's more awareness, and arguably, at least partially, maybe entirely due to access of information. As that Definitely. increases, do you foresee a change in the industry? Uh, yeah, I think it's already changing, honestly. Because right, people are becoming more, more aware. More people have transitioned, which, you know, in the 40s, uh, J.J. Rodell popularized the whole organic concept. Nobody had ever heard that word before he brought that up in the 40s. In the 40s? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he was kind of like competing with them, trying to popularize composting and trying to popularize uh, practices. And it was an alternative to the chemical industry because he saw that that was potentially dangerous. Okay, okay. And his name was J.J. Rodale. Rodale, yeah, Rodale okay. Institute, yeah. Okay, I'll look him up. That's yeah. a very important thing. Um, here's a big thing. Oh, but, but before I get into that, we talk about... Oh, wow. I don't like to bring up politics too much, but people talk about voting with their wallet. Um, yeah, as the consumer, what can they do to, to support this? So to... that's a that's murky waters, honestly, because every bag you pick up in a health food store these days has their claim. You know, we plant <coughs> one tree for every bag right, right. sold, etc. You know, there's always some story that they have to try to get you to buy their product, and that's because, according to their own research, two out of three consumers are belief-based con consumers. They buy things based on the beliefs that they think the company has they they think a company stands for something and so they but in will, fact they don't yeah yeah, yeah. I, they may or may not if you know it's so it's, it's very it's, yeah it's like marketing as the mail marketing in general, right yeah do you um you know any companies in particular or i mean i, I won't i wouldn't want to really like advertise okay. for any particular companies but i would just look into their practices in general Right. I would see, you know, are they a company that treats their employees well? What is their footprint on the environment? Do they consider solar technology? Do you know what okay. are their what are their practices actually opposed to what they're saying on their bag? Right, like the like the fair trade certified. Those right. Yes. Yeah, so those are yeah. Those I, would, are I would always I would always say to stick with anything fair trade certified because those farmers are absolutely screwed otherwise. Okay. Yeah, and again, that's that's something that's important because. Before this was as available as it was, I mean, it might be hard for people to say, well, I want something fair trade certified, especially if you lived in a town as right. small as ours. You right. know, I mean, it'd be different if you lived in New York, you could, there's more access. But as there's more access, and this is another example of how it's changing, um, we have more options, there's more distribution, and I guess we can, in a sense, vote with our wallets. Um, not in a political sense at all, but just like how we can kind of shape 
the industry towards a better way, a better so, future. And I will say, honestly, on that front, I would <coughs> always suggest local first because you mm -hmm. can actually meet the person, you can go to their farm, you can see their practices in person. Oh, go lo so local. That's yeah, great. I, I would recommend local, and I would try to find a farmer that meets your beliefs, you know, that practices things how you would like them to be practiced, and have a conversation with that farmer. Would you see that at farmer's markets? Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You could go there and you could ask them what their practices are. I'm sure they would love to tell you. Well, as someone who's in that, would most farmers be open to discussing that? I think that? so, yeah. yeah. Especially organic farmers or regenerative or any of the other buzzwords, you know, no-till, biodynamics, okay. etc. What's something to watch out for, for someone who doesn't know, for someone to stay away from? If he's like, I don't know about any of that. I mean, if, if somebody's trying to sell you something really hard and their information seems shady or if they seem like they're deflective about seeing their farm or anything like that, yeah, I would be a little bit <coughs> wary of that. And then, again, you just want to really get to know the farmer because if you have a relationship with them, if you're buying from them continually, you're going to know what their character is. You're going to know if they're going to be shady with you, if they're going to possibly mislead you about their products. Okay, this next part is probably going to be one of my favorite parts of, of this discussion. So organic and non-GMO, these are very big buzzwords. Definitely. Okay, um, and the, the first no one cared about it, and they're they're all laughing at it. And then even in the past decade, you know, like huge change, like Walmart, and the, um, they started adopting it, and, they're, and people were like, "Well, this is going to be a real thing, whether we like it or not." Because there was some pushback initially. They're like, oh, yeah. they're, they were laughing at." It. I remember reading this article. They said, "Well." You know, if you want to buy ugly food, that's up to you. Right. Okay. <laughs> so clearly there's some pushback. Um, for anyone who's listening or, and watching and thinks that, I mean, I don't blame anyone for that. But I, I would say that it's funny how everyone is always so wary of big corporations like the pharmaceutical industry, the food industry. But suddenly when it comes to something that they're saying where, it's, where it takes away from your convenience, um, then you believe them. So... I would just take everything with a grain of salt, perhaps. Definitely. Now, I'll start with GMOs, because I, I see this thing, GMOs are totally lost in three generations of So that was one study that was done on mice, and it's pretty disturbing. You know, mice is not always going to correlate over to humans. It's mm -hmm. a pretty big jump. But they did notice that there was complete sterility when they were fed GMO corn, which is BT toxin corn. It's been genetically modified to have a gene from a bacteria that's known as Bacillus thuringiensis, and this releases pesticides essentially. It's a, it's a type of pesticide and it's very effective against um, say mosquitoes and fungus gnats and other various various predators of uh, say this corn that they're applying it to. Is that what Roundup is? is that what... No, Roundup is a different compound. Okay, okay. This is, it's a genetic <coughs> modification into the corn itself. So the corn actually releases a form of natural pesticide. Okay. But my problem with GMOs, especially in this case, is that now you have a corn plant that is also a bacteria genetically. So it's not really just a plant anymore. And then, you mm. know, they've done this with tomatoes and splicing salmon genes into them and things like that. Really? Yeah, and that's actually a salmon? hybrid. Yeah, absolutely. They, I can't remember if it's more cold tolerant or something like that. But, or maybe it made them preserve better or hold better, more shelf life. I can't remember what the reason was. <laughs> okay. But it's... It's kind of an abomination if you think about it. It's well, not it's, even in the plant kingdom anymore. It's actually two kingdoms. Right. It, it, it sounds like genetics. a sci-fi horror. Yeah, thing yeah absolutely. That... It's, a, it's an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so that's, uh, and it's, it's also a problem because I've heard this, and you, you might know more about this than I do, that 
because these are um these are plants but they're also innovations for the first time in history a person or a corporation actually owns the right yes. to a plant so, so i have a very big problem with that so soy and corn are, are two big yeah, ones right those are the huge ones and uh the soy especially because it's sterile so it doesn't actually produce more seeds so like that actually completely negates traditional farming practices of seed saving you know, all farmers in third world countries save all of their seeds. They don't buy more seeds every year. But with that genetic modification, they actually made them sterile so the farmers are required to buy more seeds every year. How are they getting new seeds? They have to buy them from, say, Monsanto or... Monsanto, okay. Um, and how is Monsanto making... They have a... Are they getting so, seeds so from somewhere else? They're genetically modified. I don't know their process fully, honestly. Okay. And I don't know how the patented copyright works because I know that... You can infringe on that copyright just by, say, pollinating a neighbor's field, and this is happening. Right, right. Actually. People have been yeah, many sued over that. Yeah. I... So they <coughs> pollinated a neighbor's field, and then that neighbor actually had seed come from that, but it had genetic markers from the GMO soy, and so that they would actually say, "Oh, you're infringing on my copyright. You've stolen my intellectual property. So I'm going to sue you." Even though they had nothing to do with it, it was a nearby farmer whose pollen went into the air. It's uh, that's shady at best. No, that. Yeah, I know I'm shady. <laughs> um, no, that makes me angry. Uh, yeah, it that, is. That, that, that stuff. Yeah. Angry. I, I mean, it gets there, worse too, honestly. The, the, there's stuff that I, that people are probably shouldn't say, but I mean, no, that that makes me angry because it, it's a plant, and now we're saying we own it. We own part of the earth. Well, we own this. They've taken away people's independence by it. it's it's in my opinion a form of colonization because you're actually taking away independence and self-sufficiency and in haiti they were so aware of it they did a lot of tests with it and they're very familiar with growing these plants they've done it for who knows how wrong with this plant they remember seeing a video where they were a little bit red and they were just off in the soil so they were very okay. uh skeptical of it and then when they realized that they weren't able to treat, keep uh, saving their seeds, they actually took all of it and they burned it. They, they, they burned all of the product and refused to continue dealing with Monsanto. Okay, this is Haiti? Yeah. Okay. So Monsanto probably has a reach in North America, perhaps South America. Um, are there other, uh, well, how far is their reach? Um, it's global, absolutely. Uh, okay. It's changed over time because, you know, they developed a very bad reputation. That's why they merged with Bayer and tried, right, to, right. tried to eliminate their reputation by that and then absorbing a bunch of other companies through subsidiaries and trying to basically market all of their products through other names because it's just a rebranding kind of effect. And so they're, they're definitely global. I mean, it's it's a massive conglomerate corporation. You're, they've merged with Bayer, so you're talking about a merger of agrochemical, pharmaceutical, mm -hmm. a mega corporation. Is then uh, my follow-up question is, is like um, is all non-GMO? No, is all is all non-organic GMO soy Monsanto in North America? Most likely, I won't say definitely, but I would say most likely because that's how most farmers practice. If they're if they're doing conventional methods, they're right. buying their their chemicals, you know, their NPK fertilizer from Dow or any of the other couple manufacturers, and they're okay. buying their seeds from Monsanto. What would it have to be for it to not be Monsanto? Is it organic soy? Or organic, no? yes. All organic is non-GMO. All organic is non-GMO? That's a requirement of an organic certification. It has to say USDA organic. Somebody could say organic on a bag, but if it doesn't have that stamp, then it hasn't actually been verified. Okay, okay. That, that, that's interesting. 
Um, now this is uh, this is something that I see online a lot, and it's like well they say well everything is GMO. Yeah, um, there's a lot of that, and a lot of that is uh, confusion over the difference between GMO and hybridization. Okay. So there's a lot of people, and I, I don't really know how they could make this jump, but people are saying, oh, we've been genetically modifying things because we've been doing selective breeding. So that, that's mm -hmm. a big jump to say we took this corn and this corn. This corn was extra sweet, but this one was more starchy, so we crossed them. So that's genetic modification? Absolutely not. That's selective breeding. Right. So you're saying there's a big difference in selective breeding. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, where would you draw the line in, like... When there's a lab and there's... We'll say genetic modification is splicing genes from another animal, <coughs> bacteria, etc., some mm -hmm. completely unrelated species into, say, a plant. So, mm -hmm. like, you're taking genes from an animal or a bacteria and putting mm -hmm. it into a plant. So it's it's not like it's a hybridized plant with another of its species. Right. It's with a completely different kingdom. You know, it's, it's a massive jump in genetics, and the far-reaching consequences of that are not really known. There's right. not long-term studies on this. Whereas selective breathing is right. kind of what everyone does in this yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's always been done. It's kind of like how humans have become taller. So yeah. I mean, we're kind of selective breeding ourselves. I mean, Native Americans probably bred all of our corn as it is today. It's it's thanks to them that we have such productive corn. Okay, that, that's interesting. Um, as far as... I hear that in uh, bananas. They yeah. say bananas are supposed to have seeds and so things. yeah the bananas that we eat currently are actually a clone so they're all genetically identical so they're taking cuttings off of one tree and they're propagated all over the planet because it has a good flavor it stores well etc okay they're all every every banana would be unique just like apples okay as um is all other than locally sourced food is all food that's not labeled non-GMO GMO then? I would say it's uh if you're concerned about eating GMO then I would avoid anything that's not labeled that way yeah okay. so it's not definitely going to be GMO but the odds are high enough that you may want to avoid it okay and just a blanket statement on um potential dangers of GMO foods is less nutrients definitely and just again potential long-term implications of that how is that going to affect our dna and multi-generational right aspects? because th there's there's no long-term studies right. on this yeah definitely not multi-generational and, and again you're I voting with your wallet be, I mean, right. you're supporting this industry you're supporting that... a company that has very dubious practices right i mean theoretically if we all stop buying it right now Absolutely. you know i mean that there would be massive changes and say even more than that if all the farmers stopped practicing their methods but that would require an entire renovation of how they farm Right. So that's different. Now let's talk about organic. Um, Generally, yeah, I would say organic is, is kind of the safe word. Um, I don't believe it's a hallmark of quality. It's more so. Right, of course. And th this is something I've read before is that organic is all about what's not in it. It never says what's in it. It's not about what how healthy is this food. It's about what it doesn't contain. You know, this doesn't have those really toxic pesticides. It still right. has pesticides. Right. It doesn't have GMOs, etc. You know, it's all about what's not there rather than what's there. So your quality could be really good or it could be really poor as right. in terms of the, the soil nutrition. Well, um, th that's something that people have to watch out for, I think. Um, and I, I may trigger some people with this, whatever. But like for words like organic um, and capitalism, perhaps, they... I think it's interesting how we term things. Like organic 
like Tom mentions in his podcast, it was just food. You know, yeah, and, and not, now yeah, we're calling it organic food, and now we're making fun of it because we put a label on it. Right. Um, and then they say, organic, this is how it was supposed to be. The pesticide food, that should be called something else. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, conventional is, is um, in my opinion, a little bit of social conditioning. Uh, they they term something conventional that hadn't even been applied for a few decades. You know, we're talking about traditional farming going back 6,000 years, more. Right, right. And yeah. uh, this has two decades, and we're calling it conventional. That's right. a bit of a jump. Right, it's just how like, they say, like, Western medicine and Eastern medicine, they, they call one Absolutely. traditional and one alternative. That's that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, now, is that... You said that USDA organic is the label to look for. That's yeah. That, I'm not saying they're the best. I'm just saying that that will. Are there other ones? Uh, that... There are other other certifications. Uh, there's like a clean green <coughs> certification. I'm pretty okay. sure they're out of Washington, but these are mostly going to be local certifications. As far as like a federal certification, USDA. USDA. Um, but it's not a guarantee of quality. Definitely not, in my opinion. That may not be popular, but. Um, it's again, like you said, a buzzword, and more and more companies are jumping in on it. Which, when more and more companies jump in on anything, it's potentially slightly dangerous, in my opinion, because they're going to just try to market that. They're going to try to capitalize on it. Well, no, and I mean, you don't have to touch upon this if you don't want to, but especially in the past year or two, I see Walmart, big investment in their market side brand. On um, USDA organic market and, side, I'm not sure about. I, I will right, say because that. It, it says USDA organic, but I'm like, <laughs> but I I just think actually, but I just think that there's something shady about that. Like suddenly that they have access to all of this so stuff that's supposedly organic, convincing people to buy it. I don't sell for pennies full, on the dollar. I don't know the full story on that, but from what I've read, a lot of the market side is sourced from China. And their certification programs on what can be called organic are very different from what ours can be called organic. So, th again, this is what I read. I don't have confirmation. Right, that's, that's, fine. that's fine. But I was <coughs> reading that their organics are actually certified organic in China, not in the U.S. On a lot of their products. Maybe not all of them, but on right. some. Right, I've heard that too. Again, I, I don't know. Feel free to fact check this. Um, but it's USDA. Organic, it, it, right? it says USDA, it should be okay, and I'm, yeah. I don't want to go back on that, but it also sketches me out a little bit. Right, right, so some, something to keep an eye out for. Again, I mean, th this is anecdotal at best between us, yeah. but that's something that I watch out for, just because, I mean, I go to Walmart too, just like everyone else. But I mean, I, I will say this, if, if yeah. most products that are organic cost $4 for the item that you're purchasing, and then you go there and it's dollar fifty for right, right. side organics that, that's what makes disparity I mean, yeah that, that's what i'm kind of concerned about now um now i know we've talked about this but some people will listen to that and they'll be like well i, I still don't care a big um thing that people have talked about in the past oh i don't know it's, it's, it's been a while is the bee population yeah okay this is directly affecting the bee population Definitely. So, I mean, pesticides in general, especially insecticides that are applied in increasing quantities because the thing about insects is that they develop resistance to pesticides generally within a year, 10 really? years at most. Yeah. So they're always cycling what pesticide <laughs> to use. They're coming up with new cocktails, you know, use this, use that, etc. Use it in that ratio, use this amount. Okay, now switch to this one so they don't develop resistance. And they're always trying to basically avoid an insect resistance problem and that's why things like um 
well, Roundup was created because it actually is an herbicide and it destroys all the plants around the certain variety that they're growing. Pressed insects because there's not so much undergrowth, all the weeds. A lot of those weeds tend to be homeless to those insects. Oh, so it's an herbicide. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, does it actually repel insects? It mostly kills soil bacteria and plants. So I'll go a little bit into that. It's, it's actually destroying all of the biology in the soil and it's making you more and more dependent on their chemical salt fertilizers because the only way that you can farm organically or regeneratively is by relying on soil ecology. Okay, so it's getting worse. It's kind of hamstringing the soil. It's, it's essentially making it less and less resilient. It's more and more susceptible to droughts, floods, etc. And this has been proven with a 30-year trial at Rodale Institute where they did conventional soy side by side with uh, organic soy, with mm -hmm. no-till practices and with basically cover cropping mm -hmm. and uh, crop rotation. And they found that the yields were comparable. In a perfect year with no drought and no flooding, the GMO soy did slightly better, but if there were any adverse conditions, say drought, flood, the organic no-till actually did significantly better. Really? Yeah. Well, th that makes me wonder, if we didn't have these uh, adverse farming practices, what would it look like? I, I hear um, from, I have some friends who are like the FFA and they're, they're, they talk about sustainable farming and a lot of them are big proponents of GMO and um, I guess non-organic. So, they, they, they say it's too expensive and they would cause like worldwide food shortages. That's, that's generally the information that's handed down to them. Whether that's true or not, I can't personally say. I do believe that information is being handed down to them to sell products, in my opinion, because they're a customer. And right. it's capitalism. That company wants to sell as much of their product to them as possible, so they'll do that in any means necessary. But yes, that is the biggest argument against organics. You know, That's the biggest or argument against doing things naturally and going away from this mass production system. Would it really cause like a huge food shortage, for instance? So, that's a complicated subject and it kind of depends on how we as a society reacted to that change because could, could as many farmers who farm now grow food organically at the scale that would feed everyone? No, definitely not. It would require an entire restructuring of agriculture. It would have to go to a very local centric model. You know, you don't want to be sending food from a thousand acre farm in Argentina or Chile or whatever mm -hmm. up to um, you know the United States like happens now you would be focusing on seasonal whatever's in, whatever's in your current season you know you might have extensions for your season like say a greenhouse to have a little bit longer reach mm -hmm. on your season but it would require a huge increase in the amount of farmers so okay. basically instead of one farmer with a mega tractor you know they spent millions of dollars on all of that setup farming fence row mm -hmm. to fence row on a thousand acres mm -hmm. say there's a thousand farmers on that same land right right you know on, on an acre each locally farming and their production is tremendously higher and it's tremendously more resilient so again it would require a whole restructuring okay so well Th that always makes me hesitate when I see that. It's like when they talk about restructuring the American insurance system or the pharmaceutical system or the hospital, the medical system and everything. Yeah. Well, they build it up a certain way um, to where if you like to change it, then it would require restructuring and that seems so too big. So I actually want thinking. to make a, make a note on that and kind of draw back to 2008, <laughs> the recession. Mm -hmm. you know, Lee Big Brother's uh, too big to fail model. 
years. Right. So they were back. They were actually cashed out on that because with their failure, everything would go downhill. Right. So agriculture system is exactly the same, in my opinion. We've created a model where it's too big to fail. If these few farmers who would currently have massive amounts of land mm-hmm. were to go out of business or no longer be able to practice, that'd be huge. It'd be, it'd, it'd be almost yeah. yeah, like an act of terrorism. Yeah. Or yeah, the, catastrophic. Yeah, it would be for sure. Okay. Um, but what do you said? I don't know about everyone else, but that actually appeals to me. Um, the idea that everything is local because yeah. I, 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 that's well, everything true. was local, you know, right. not that long ago. So like like a farmer per neighborhood almost. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, you know, if you go back before <laughs> the chemical revolution, before people started using massive tractors and farming fence row to fence row, there were tons of local farmers, and they had diverse farms. So they had animal agriculture going on. They had their crops. They had maybe fruit trees. They were diverse farmers who had diverse sources of income. So, you know, if their fruit trees failed this year, there was a late freeze, they still had animals and they still had food for their family. Mm-hmm. And they focused on feeding themselves first and they sold anything excess to their local community. Right. You know, it wasn't going 100 or 1,000 or 2,000 miles away. It was going a few miles. Uh, that's great because it lessens our dependence yeah, on... on Things that are out of our control. Like, um, I have a friend in Australia now, and he went. He wanted to buy some kombucha or some fruits and vegetables, and he showed me this thing. Um, it was empty. You know, th- they had like thirty cases in Australia of coronavirus. Okay, and there's some people who did. They bought everything at the store. You, you, right, know, you right. can't say like, there's no toilet paper. Right. And he said, "Well, buying everything." Yeah. He said, "Well, it's a good thing I have toilet paper at home, but some people live on this week to week, and they just have no toilet paper now." Um, so. Again, if we have everything, it's different if it's from a food chain or not from like a like a, uh, a grocery chain. But if you have everything local, that's much it's, less likely to happen. It's much more resilient yeah. is the term I would use. Um, even if, again, say one farmer fails, you have another 10 farmers. Right. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not so dependent on one person's success. Because right now, again, with one person farming a thousand acres, let's say that they get some terrible plague of insects destroys their field, ruins their life, they go under. A massive amount of people are going to feel the effects of that and the price of, of the food may be affected if, if enough of these farmers actually go under that year. The food price will go up. Okay, interesting. And not to mention that the food price is currently uh, tied to the fuel price, to uh, fossil fuels. So the higher that that goes, food will go higher as well because it's being transported right, thousands right. of miles. Okay, that's very interesting. So, yeah, what, how, uh, if possible at all, would we try to reverse that? Like I said, it would require restructuring, and I think I think it's actually happening right now. I think the more and people, more people, people are, are starting starting local. Absolutely. I mean, if we, I mean, if you're into farming, you can start growing yeah, and selling. Just, just start growing um, things now, or even just growing for yourself. First. Right, growing just, for yourself yeah. first after you get good enough. If you get good enough, yeah, and sell, sell the others. Yeah. yeah, if you can feed yourself and then you have a little bit extra, then you just made some money. You know, right, especially if you have some land, good. that's definitely something you could definitely. try. Um, just like you would grow some cucumbers or something. Definitely. Okay. Um. No, this this bullet point actually stuck out to me. I really like that. Um. The pests are the symptoms of disease, not disease itself. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, definitely. So that's getting into a little bit of philosophy about the subject. But essentially, if you don't create an environment where disease can grow, then there won't be disease. You know, it's it's conducive to disease. And the same is true with pests, whether it's your body fighting off pathogens or it's the soil fighting off pathogens or your plant fighting off pathogens. It's all the same. Oh, so disease in the plants. 
correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, you know, disease and insects are highly related. Generally, insects come when a plant's already weak. They attack really? the weakest plant first. Oh, I, did, I did not know that. Yeah, they, they have a way. It's a, it's a survival <laughs> of the fittest. It's a natural selection process. Why would, since plants can't run, why would they, they just not eat the healthiest plant? Well, because some of those plants are resistant. For one, uh, say the tissue, the cellulose is actually thicker. So it makes it more to difficult. It takes okay. more energy to eat that plant than it would to eat a sick plant that's, you know, limp. That's easier to easier kind of to how you leave. eat like the sick animals. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of okay. Um, that's. I never thought of that. <laughs> I, I never thought of that. I I just thought pests were just. Well, it's you're getting into interdependent ecology, so it's an extremely complicated subject for us to understand because we like to. We like to reduce things, you know, we're a very reductionist society. We like to have one variable or consider a few variables. But right, right. In this situation, it, actually, it's all connected. It's all, it's connected. all holistic in Definitely. that sense. Um, how would someone balance this if they, if they want this, but they're like, well, I live in Hampton. I mean, I have to work full time. I have kids to take care of. Start super small. Start, I mean, super start with one Start growing plant. small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and start buying local. And yeah, they, definitely. They can yeah. seek this out. Is there some kind of directory or do they just have to... You know, I'm, I'm not as educated on that as I should be. There's probably a lot of resources on that. And again, I would still recommend experimenting with it for yourself. Go to your farmer's market. You know, just any local resource that you have available. You know, experiment with it. Have fun with it, too. Right, right. Um, I, I like this point right here. Yeah, he said, unless you're landscaping, don't apply human aesthetic to nature. Need yeah, is terrible it, ecological. And, and that makes a lot of it because, okay, so my parents, <laughs> I grew up in a restaurant and like, it was something I grew up with. If people find something in their food, it's like, oh, and it's, right. it's like, yeah, I mean, if I go out and have a burger, One I, hair out yeah, I, I, I don't want to fly in there or something, yeah. and I, but and like, I would expect them to make me a new one, but people act like, like you've insulted their family and their children and everything. Whereas right. like, if you eat naturally, yeah, food, like insects are everywhere. Nothing's neat. Definitely. Okay. Now, ecologically, what, what do you mean by that? So basically it's, it's just bad design to like say make one straight row unless you orient that perfectly to the sun where they're not going to be shadowing each other then you've done more harm than good you would have been better off just scattering them randomly where they're okay, okay so, so we, we so like much. rows that's the we thing like neat things yeah. okay that makes sense because i would grow things like even just my little rant there i'm a hypocrite because I, i'd be like well it's better be in a row and i have a fairly strong ocd sometimes so, so <laughs> i'd be growing everything in a row and that's actually bad you want you want to scatter shot because so that's how i would Pollinate naturally. The rows are a, a mass production model. It's meant for the convenience of us, not for nature. It's not anything about the plants or doing better for the plants. It's about making things for us easier and faster. Okay. Um, but in the sense of limited space, would you... Oh, so there's actually a lot of information on that. If you look into African agriculture and they practice something called polyculture, and it's been shown that they can grow a tremendous amount of food within a very small space because they use plants that are symbiotic. So say you have uh, some peas growing by some corn. The peas actually add nitrogen to the soil for the corn. The corn requires more nitrogen than most crops. So that's a very beneficial relationship. Uh, the Native Americans had this three sisters system that they had where it was uh, squash, corn, and uh, beans. And the bean would add nitrogen back into the soil. The squash would grow wide and cover the soil so that it was not being exposed to the sun and drying out too fast. And then the corn would provide a little bit of shade so that the squash wouldn't bake under the sun. There's a perfect system. Okay, okay, so, yeah, I, I hear about that a lot. And that's um, kind of 
probably like a lost art in the sense definitely it's not being passed down it's, it's a very traditional skill and like i said in africa they, they call it polyculture it's just a lot of plants packed into a small space very thick and the hard part about that is doing it right because say you know you plant one thing that grows tall facing the sun the sun's going to hit that it's going to shadow anything behind it so you need okay. to be very aware of the orientation of the sun things like that rainfall slope etc it takes basically a green thumb okay Okay, um, it's very interesting. Oh, how are we doing on time? 43. Okay, so um, we have a little bit of time. Let's talk in, let's jump into the physical health part of it. Sure, yeah. yeah definitely. But I mean, um, just because it's a health and fitness podcast, like people are interested in this too. Yeah. I mean, um, even some people who didn't ask questions now, that they, they told me to ask certain questions before I came here. And it was, I think it'll help out a lot of people. So I, I want to thank you for coming. Um, you talk about the benefits of barefoot, and this is something we touched upon in the other ones, and it's still a fairly controversial subject, I, I guess. So, I mean, just sticking to structure, which I think, you know, that can be argued scientifically, there's a lot of reasons. You, there's so many bones in your feet, and having the proper set of them, have, having them splay out correctly, having the joints fully activated, not compressed. Right, like, like in, in our shoes. Our like shoes yeah. yeah, we're compressing our, all of our joints. It's very unnatural. So... I think that there's an argument that could be made. It's just simply natural, and your feet can really spread out. They can they can decompress the, all the joints. You can reset the structure of your feet, which again you're standing on them all the time. It sets the structure of your leg and all the connective tissue all the way up the leg into your spine. Okay, so what about earthing? Do you do you know anything about that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so I, I'm definitely a firm believer in that. That you could say you can get into quantum physics if you want you can talk right. about how everything's vibrating etc everything right. has a frequency so the earth has a frequency as well and the whole concept behind earthing is that you're trying to bring your frequency in tune with the earth which is what you would be grounded you would be centered there's a lot of other right I, I heard you're uh, discharging um negative ions ne yeah. negative yeah. ions that that you often i heard that you get them from looking at your phone from... yeah absolutely from all i mean they're in the air everywhere from all the electronics that we have going constantly okay and again i think i i understand i, I know arlen understands too that some of this would be considered anecdotal i guess yeah, definitely. Um, but but i mean i'm gonna get in trouble for saying this but i i like some anecdotal things because i mean if you want to be on the cutting edge of things everything everything starts Anecdotally, Absolutely. nothing is researched unless someone's saying it first, and they're like, "Well, all right." If you're waiting around for science, you could be waiting decades. You'd right. be dead by the time that they release. The well, science and, and again, like we were talking about, like everything is um, capitalized. So, like scientists have to be paid by Definitely. someone, okay, Definitely. who is paying them. And I'm not saying disregard science, of course. Just saying disregard studies that were clearly paid for by the industry. That <laughs> right, <we're studying>. right, <laughs> right. Or, well, yeah, you would think that. Yeah, and I, don't headline read. Don't, don't uh, yeah. like actually get into like how was the study done? Right. What um, were the parameters? What was the? Right, yeah, and especially if it's something that's harmless. Like, it, like there are some there are some people who say, well, you drink bleach or you eat. Right, right, like, yeah. definitely. This that you know that you watch, but like like going walking barefoot, that's something I like. I'm a natural kind of hands in the dirt, feet in the dirt kind of guy, so that really appeals to me. I'm a big fan of that. I don't even know about the negative ions and everything. I feel better that way. Definitely. So, um, let's go into some of this. Uh, you mentioned the soil life and the effect on neurotransmitters. So the Japanese are kind of ahead of the curve on that one. They've actually done many studies on this, 
and they, they even call it forest bathing, I believe is their preferred terminology. And forest. it's been shown that when you go out into, say, a deep forest that's very well-grown, and uh, your neurotransmitters actually change. You start producing more of certain neurotransmitters, say serotonin, really? for example. Yeah. And they, they've shown that this is very repeatable. They've actually done scientific rigorously done, and they... So there's actually considerable science on that, and I would recommend that anybody looks into it. Um, the idea of uh, increasing neurotransmitters, what effect does that have on our physiology? Well, you know, they say a lot of people, if you're depressed or etc., they say you have a chemical imbalance in the brain. And all that means is you're likely in excess or deficiency of one of your neurotransmitters or multiple. So finding the right method to bring those into balance, which, you know, personally I'm a big fan of just natural living, good diet, etc. Right. But this is one specific example where especially depression seems to respond to, which could be involving okay. serotonin. So again, being out in nature, farming, all these things, it being nature. Together. Yeah, well, I mean, th there's a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff that points towards that, that we're, when we're in nature, when we're in the woods, our stress levels lower, our immune system increases, it's how we're supposed to be. Um, and I think that's a good place to kind of, uh, kind of end, like, right here you say diet, what should we eat for someone? Keep it simple is my biggest, because everyone overcomplicates it, right. and tries to stick to some system that is completely unsustainable. Right. And uh, I also, I think there's a mentality that's a problem behind diet, and it's where people feel like they have to take away everything that's bad, and they focus on that. So they're actually thinking about what they don't want all the time. So of course they want it because they're thinking about it all the time. Right, right. So instead of doing that, I would recommend that people just find something new to try, experiment with new foods. You know, it's a positive twist on this. So instead of worrying about what you shouldn't have, just try new things. Or, you know, just play around with your diet. Have right. a little bit of fun. See what works it. for you. Right. Because it, everyone's different in that sense. And so, again, I mean, this is, you have everything laid out very nice. Uh, <laughs> because this is something that some people might think as a follow-up is they don't want the cost of organic or health foods. But, like you mentioned, it's, it, that's what you have now, the long-term medical costs. Right. So okay, that's... a lot of people don't consider their medical costs to be part of their food costs, but it's very well associated. And not to mention just food, but your lifestyle. Right. They, they don't want to spend the extra money. Well, first of all, you're saving money if you're growing your own food and, and you're making your own food more than you might think. You know, like it, it's like it's it easy to think, well, I have like a three dollar McDonald's hamburger or however much they are. Yeah, total but, that up over a year and you might be surprised. Right, right. Like you, you might be surprised how much you save. People... They don't like the bulk. Right. And so you're like, oh, it's fifty dollars. I spent fifty dollars today. Yeah, but you're you're eating that over a week. Right. So exactly. It's first of all, it's not. You're you you are paying less even with organic. You know, obviously there are some things that are really expensive, but there's a short term mentality involved in that, and definitely there's a lot of companies that I think charge way too much. Right. And especially in the organic industry, they're charging more because they know they can. Yeah. And you definitely want to avoid those companies, in my opinion, kind of talking about paying with your, or voting with your dollars. Right, right. Um, and people, they might shy away from that, but they don't think anything about how much they're paying for antidepressants. Right, and yeah, definitely. So and, and ironically, again, it doesn't have to be that expensive. You can, you can find quite a few great deals, even locally. You can buy organic, sometimes for as cheap as conventional, like saying, bearing... The truck batch is organic produce on sale mm -hmm. can be very comparable to conventional at Walmart 
Right, right. So, very worth to do it. Highly recommend it. Um, is there anything you want to touch on before we end it? I, you, you have a reading list that I'm going to yeah, post yeah, for that's, everyone. Yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah, because then they can look into that, and if they're curious about any of those topics, they could look into it. If somebody has elaborated on it considerably, all of those books I would highly recommend. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we didn't get any. Some people popped in, a lot of them are pretty shy, but I know a lot of people before this, they were like, oh yeah, I really want to learn about that, and they had told me to ask certain things. So you, you did help a good amount of people considering our small audience. I want to thank anyone, the one person who's watching now, he's anonymous. <laughs> I want to thank you. <laughs> I think we got as high as five earlier. Um, I know it's, it's easy, like I talked about with Tom, it's easier to follow a crowd of just like, there's a hundred thousand people, there's a million people, but we're still small. And I, I really appreciate everyone who's watched it, especially if you've watched the whole thing, which means you've watched this far. Um, I really appreciate it. And send us questions, send me new ideas for people to interview, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks guys. Let's see, um, finish.